on the Empire Podcast this week, we're joined by human animals, not sadly jellical cats. Don't get your hopes up. Yes, Alia Shawcat and Holiday Granger, stars of Animals. I weirdly, I told Holiday this, but my mom always used to think that we should work together. She was like, you and this actress, Holiday Granger, I think would be wonderful <laughs> together. And I was like, all right, well, I'll try and make it happen. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that thinks British politics is much like Hollywood. Both, of course, are ruled by a massive Johnson. Only all things considered, theirs is better than ours. <laughs> Long Prime, live the rock. Prime Minister the rock. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? That'd be all right. I feel like you'd have to fight Jason Statham for it, which is a film that I would watch. I'm also happy with Prime Minister Jason Statham, Prime Minister Idris Elba, Prime Minister anyone but the person who's currently Prime Minister. But hey, that's not good political. Hey. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. I'm joined this week by an esteemed cabinet of colleagues of such lethal cunning <laughs> lethal 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 cunning um, oh. have you been working on that no that was, that was quite good wasn't it? it was That's good right. it was good let's add that to the official list <laughs> it, was, it was him and Jim Broadbent yeah, alright a bit of both <laughs> Uh, first up is the Minister for Banging On Relentlessly About The Pilot TV Podcast hi it's uh, James Dyer how are you I'm, I'm good thank you how do you feel about the news this week that the London Podcast Festival has added Mark Kermode's podcast uh, at the exact same time as the Pilot TV podcast? Oh, fight, 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 <laughs> fight, fight. <laughs> I mean, enter Beast Kermode. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, you are going to uh, be playing to four people and a That's a bit of counter-programming, isn't it? <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh, no, uh, you should team up. You should team up. Yeah. Two very different yeah. podcasts. No, but see... And his is listened to I know the way The King's Place <laughs> is formatted, and it means we'll be sharing a green room which yes. will give me the opportunity to brutally murder him before he goes on stage, <laughs> thereby co-opting his audience. So it all plays into my master plan. Wow. All right. Producer Jane uh, works closely with The Good Doctor on his uh, on his BBC... Is it BBC Four or BBC Two shows? Oh. BBC Four. Yeah, those documentaries that he did um, about the history of cinema and whatnot. What are they called? I can't remember. Secrets of Cinema. That's it. Secret System. I'd forgotten. <laughs> Secret System. No, not to be confused with Secret really Cinema, good. which is very um, different. Uh, Producer Jane may tip off The Good Doctor about your plans you to murderalize him. I'm just saying. So, and also... But I, nothing can stop James. Nothing can stop James. I am like Thanos. And this inevitable. might be admissible as evidence. You think? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Also, you may have a few years on him, but he's a big unit, is, is Mark. So you think, I think he could take you down. You think I shouldn't, yeah. have, shouldn't have shown my hand? I don't think you should have shown your hand. tactical error. I think he'll flatten you with a double base. Shit. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll, you'll be in big trouble. All right. Okay. Moving on then, of course, to our minister for Winchester nipples. It is... <laughs> Good Lord. Supernatural and Hamilton geek Helen mm-hmm. O'Hara how are you? I'm very well thank you Hey yes. Helen hey. I saw Hamilton again this week third time That's cool I'm Hold seeing it for fingers. the third time in September Oh that's exciting Yeah but of course my first time was with the original Broadway cast I don't know if I've ever mentioned that but it was so I feel like I get bonus points Your eyes have turned bright mm. green That's amazing You've made an Emmy in this day. Uh, how how was the, the new cast? Burr to your to your Hamilton. How was the new one? How was the new cast? Oh, that went, oh that's a passive aggressive question. How was the new cast? How was it? No, but how was I'm it? genuinely. How I'm going to be seeing them soon. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Uh, are they all new? I mean, because I, well, I wasn't sure whether the guy playing Hamilton was an understudy or whether the the, the, the new guy is still there. But it was a Monday night, so maybe he had Monday night off. Uh, it was mostly new, but okay. uh, it was a couple, some couple of people had held over from the previous production that I saw. Very good. Excellent. Very, very good. I have to say, and I don't know his name, so if anyone does know his name, then do write in and let me know because I didn't pick up a program. But the guy playing Burr was the best Burr I've seen thus far. Ooh, really exciting. good. Ooh. Played him with a nice 
sardonic, slightly theatrical edge, which I really, really liked. And uh, you can see gradually their performances beginning to move away yeah. from the template that is laid down by, by other people. Well, that's exciting. I think that's what, that's what they need to do to keep it fresh. So I think that's, so. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Good uh, King George as well. Oh, yay. And uh, we're finally joined, of course, by the minister for just, you know, just being really darn nice. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's Ben Travis. How Hello. are you? Hello. I'm good. I'm good. In fact, we'll be talking more about um, Aaron Burr's later in the podcast because Ooh. OG Burr is popping up in um, significant trailer this week. Hurrah! Is he? Yes, he yeah, is. Yeah, Leslie Odom Jr. Mm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. I'm very excited about that. Okay, that'll be in the news section of the show later on. First up, though, it is time for a question. And this question seems rather apt after this week. And it comes from at Adam G. Stark, Adam underscore G underscore Stark on Twitter. And he asks... All this sun which has me hiding in a darkened room with a fan on made me wonder, what are the best scenes slash films that evoke oppressive heat? And he says, immediate thoughts are Rear Window, the Sicilian scenes in The Godfather and The Graduate. Um, Well, those were my three choices, so I'm (laughs) going to bow out. You're out. I I mean, Sunshine feels a bit first base, but uh, but Sunshine. (laughs) But also, and I I tweeted gifts from this this week, the scene from Knowing, you know, when they look out the window and the world is on fire and the flaming moose comes prancing out of the forest and then, you know, collapses. Yeah, what with being dead. What with being on fire, yeah. Yeah. Knowing, yeah. It felt a lot like that. I think about Knowing Alex knew what he was talking about. Mm. Mm. Yeah, me and mm. me and Roger Ebert, me and Rog are the pretty much the only defenders of that film. And me, and you. Yeah. I didn't you hate like, it. You like knowing? Yeah. You didn't like hate it. Yeah. Ben, where do you stand on knowing? I have not seen knowing, but okay. maybe that's my weekend. Ben plan wasn't born out. when knowing came out. <laughs> <laughs> this is absolutely fine. It was what two thousand nine. Pretty or much. So? Yeah, yeah. Ben sounds is about right. Knowing about knowing. If you don't know knowing, uh, then get to know knowing because knowing is a utterly gonzo, batshit, <laughs> crazy, uh, stealth sci-fi film yeah. that uh, it starts out as one thing and then turns into yeah. something mm. completely different. And James is referring to dream sequences in which Nick Cage's character sees the world on fire with uh, with moose on fire running mm. through a, a forest landscape. Also on fire, but also it felt weirdly prescient, like a bit of a documentary uh, after this week. Uh, where Did you see, like, you know, just to quickly go off the beaten path, not that we ever do that before, but you see, like, the weirdly celebratory tweets from people yeah. and weirdly celebratory headlines. Come about, on, guys, we've yes. nearly beaten the record. Let's <laughs> see if we can get it up to 30. It's like, first of all, what exactly are you going to do to try and raise the temperature? Like, everyone go outside and hold up a lighter. Like, what? what is this? And also, this is not a good thing. It's the yeah. end of the world. Burn, burn. I mean, spray those those fly sprays into the yeah. air. Quickly, do it, do quick, it now. Quick, quick, quick! As much emissions as you can. Yeah. It's, uh, it's disastrous. It was BBC weather as well? You think yeah. they'd be a little bit more responsible? Today's the day. We're going to do it today. It's like, what are you doing? We're yeah. all going to die. <laughs> Oh, fun. Anyway. Anyway. Yay. Um, so I was thinking of Do the Right Thing, which is ah. getting a re-release this summer for its 30th, next, 30th birthday. Next week, Helen. Next week, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was absolutely on my list as well. Uh, and fact, fun fact mm. about that film, it was originally called Heatwave. That makes sense. And mm. uh, the, the genesis for the movie was Spike Lee had read a report that said that once the temperature hits 90 degrees and above, this is Fahrenheit, by the way, not Celsius. If it hits 90 degrees Celsius and above... <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. Bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. mm. uh, so he noticed that once the temperature goes above 90 degrees Celsius, scientists have noticed this, that people have shorter fuses, they are quicker mm-hmm. to, to anger, and he thought that would be a lovely basis for doing the right thing. But also... Um, Ernest Dickerson, the cinematographer, yep. managed to evoke this real feeling of heat. Well, he literally he would literally. Yep. Yeah. He put what? gas fires um, in front of the camera, so basically you get the waves of heat coming up and distorting the image. Very and of course, they they painted whole areas of uh, bedstow red, orange, 
yellow, just heat colours to kind of make it all pop on screen. Mm. It's an incredible film. If you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, go see it next week. We'll be talking about it, I'm sure, then. We will. But yeah, it also does give you that sweaty hot, hot feeling the whole yeah. time. And it is about that, isn't it? It's about, yeah. it's about that feeling of oppressive, cloying heat from which you cannot escape. And uh, I'm going to suggest if films that are shot in conditions like that, <laughs> that helps an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Predator, for example, was shot in the jungle in yep. Mexico, Jimbo. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, they, you know, that they were experiencing proper, proper, proper sweaty conditions, sweaty bum cracks, the whole kit and caboodle. And uh, the sweat dripping down Schwarzenegger's face and perhaps his bum crack as well. We never see it in the movie. Mm. Uh, Thanks for clarifying. Real, real sweat. I, I've real been bum banned crack. from quoting Predator in the office this week because I find whenever that he, I end up quoting Anna from Predator, the only in the hottest years they come mm. thing. And this year, it, it grows, grows hot. hot. <laughs> uh, it's been driving Nick insane. <laughs> I mean, it does seem like the Predator would be here. The demon if he was that mixed trophies of men. Uh, please don't do a Spanish accent. <laughs> For the love of God. But yes, it does feel like a predator's sort of year. It also feels like a very, very bad time to be involved in a court case because if To Kill a Mockingbird and 12 Angry Men have taught me anything, it's that, again, tempers will flare up in in extremely hot conditions involving trials. Yeah, so. absolutely. So lots of close-ups of people, very in-your-face cameras, sometimes maybe at a slightly candid angle. So you can really get that sweat, that sense of paranoia and oppression that you get in a hot mm-hmm. room. A room much like this one, for example. And we're all very, very friendly right mm-hmm. now, but at 12 o'clock and when we finish recording this... Maybe we'll a different story. Well, because be, fuck you, Helen. we have fuck to turn you. the air conditioning off to record the podcast, <laughs> or you can hear yes, it we do. on the podcast. Yeah. So it's already quite tropical. Well done, engineering people. <laughs> <laughs> Three angry men plus Helen. <laughs> uh, ben. Um, I'm trying to think of films that have that really evocative heat. The thing that's popped to mind, I don't think it's the most iconic, but um, The Florida Project really got mm. that sense of when yeah. you're a kid and you, you're just like out and about in the summer holidays and you can't get away from the heat when they're hanging around by the ice cream shop trying to get some ice cream and they don't have any mm. money. Mm. Um, Stand yeah. By Me is really good at that as well. Yes. yes. Yeah, where you're just kind of wandering around. Like you, you're enjoying the fact that you're outside and it's hot, but it's also too hot. Mm. Um I mean, it's not a film yet, and it is in the middle of being made into a film, but when we were talking about Do the Right Thing, In the Heights, the other Lin-Manuel Miranda musical is set over a sweltering 4th of July weekend in a blackout in the Washington Heights area of New York. And that's part of the the plot of that, really, that the the heat escalates everything else that's going on, the tensions in the neighbourhood that all the characters are feeling. So... Time traveling me from about a year and a half in the future is coming back to say in the heights. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! How was it? Was wow. it good? Oh, it's amazing. Helen, yeah, John you, M. Chu smashed it. Yeah, good, good, good. You saw in the heights, didn't you? I'm also a time traveler, and yeah. yes, I. No, 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 the, oh, the, you the mean play, the, the, the play? Musical. I did, yeah. yes, and it's very good. Did you see it with the original cast? No, I saw it here mm, in London. Interesting. So, <laughs> look, Chris. <laughs> I think um, I, I yeah, didn't see yeah. it either, but you know, hey ho. Another film that I would suggest, well, really any film that's sort of hot would include a desert. Now, the old me would probably have used this as an opportunity to springboard into a tedious monologue about Denis Villeneuve's Dune. However, oh, I have no. taken a personal, personal, that's you know, so impressive step to curtail my Dune explaining. So, mm. all I would say is possibly Dune. I would agree with that, possibly Dune. But is Dune about heat? Yeah, because the entire planet is a desert and you will literally die if you spend any time outside not in a still suit. Okay. In, in large parts of the planet, obviously, not. Tries entirely. not to explain a still suit. Oh, a still suit basically is a, a covering of your entire body that basically recycles all the, the 
water that comes out of your body so you can survive, including we. Okay. Yes, all bodily fluids are recycled. Don't you think it's interesting that there's never really a sense of heat in Star Wars when they go to Tatooine? No one's putting on sun cream. No one's going, oh, God. There is on Jakku. Yeah, Jakku looks baking. Because uh, Finn, obviously, as soon as he reaches that fountain with the big um, sort That's of right. buff, does, rhino-y yeah. thing drinking, he's like straight in there, yeah. straight in it. But also, I would say they're not really dressed for the desert, are they? You know, they're dressed in like big cloaks and heavy materials. But and that is dressed for the desert. Is Think it? of Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, but he was, you know, British. Yeah. An idiot. And, and that's also, how, that's how people dress when they're what about all of his... All right, okay, you got me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia was one I was going to say as well, though. In terms of yep. heat shimmers, Omar Sharif's entrance. God, yes. Uh, yeah, like, which is, I, I love heat haze, and it's very difficult to make it come across in camera. But yeah, that's that, that was really great. Uh, I'm also going to suggest, if we're going to talk about Spike Lee, Summer of Sam is also set in a heat wave. True. Um, there's a great British B-movie called The Day the Earth Caught Fire, if you haven't seen that. It's available on Blu-ray, Foul Guest. And was that's that yesterday? <laughs> well, it's literally about uh, the the sun essentially consuming the earth and scorching the earth, and it's set in a uh, in a London where it is so almost too hot to go out. Mm. Um, Wake and Fright, the great Australian film, Wake and Fright, if anyone's ever seen that, Ted really, Kotcheff. Really any film set in Australia. But this one yep. in particular, because it's about a guy who goes to the outback. He's a relief teacher, he's a supply teacher, he goes out to this small Australian town, and there's nothing to do there but drink and gamble. And he gets caught in this sort of mire of drink and depression and Donald Pleasance and and <laughs> and there's a horrible sequence where they go out and shoot kangaroos, but the film itself is a nightmarish odyssey, and it really... They, they, you know, they, they were literally throwing flies. I remember interviewing oh. Ted Koshev about this and talking, how do you get the sense of, of heat on camera? But it was really, really hot. They literally shot out in the outback, you know, a bit like Mad Max and whatnot. But uh, they were throwing flies at the actor's face and mm. they had hundreds of, if not thousands upon millions of flies uh, knocking around the set. I would also mention Ice Cold and Alex, just for yes. a famous bit in the bar. Oh my God, yes. Uh, and Pitch Black. It's actually yes. very good. Well, lest we forget more than that, the Chronicles of Riddick, which takes place on a fire planet <laughs> called Crematoria. Yeah. Which isn't on the nose but at I've, all. But I've tried to avoid thinking ever about the Chronicles of Riddick. Well, unfortunately, when we get to news, you're going to have to think about it again. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, fair enough. All right. Um, I mean, we invoked it just there, but obviously, like, Mad Max. All yeah. of them, but especially Fury Road. I have been hopelessly addicted to water for the last 27 years of my life. And as a human as a human <laughs> <laughs> so i really feel it when he's um being part water yourself of course yes. whoa how do you how do you feel do you know what all of this week i felt like you know um in the first x-men where senator kelly is just yeah. that big yep. kind of blobby gooey water mass and he just explodes into water that's basically been my state of being for the last week it's like that star trek the next generation villain who dissed the whole of humanity by calling us ugly bags of mostly water do you remember wasn't, that wasn't that a, a silicone... nano item a nano life form wasn't it a silicone based yeah, life form but wasn't it wasn't it like and they speak to it via the universal translator they have to work out how to communicate with it because mm. it's killing the miners because they're like sentient minerals or something i can't remember what it was i just remember <laughs> ugly bags of mostly water this is a season one episode yeah it is it's yeah. really early yeah wow okay. that got nerdy anyway yeah. it did get nerdy didn't it but yeah, we are all part water. That's Maybe true. Maybe that explains why we're so happy when we go into the sea. That we're, we're coming home. We're going, Daddy, we missed you. Maybe, you know, just hypo- hypo- hypothetically speaking. Sure. Yeah. What is your problem here today, Helen? What? What, what is your problem? I can't help having a sceptical oh, face whenever so you open your mouth. I'm angry with you for some reason. I can't articulate. What is it? Oh. Um, two last films I'm going to mention before we move on. One is another Australian film, The Rover. Anyone seen The Rover? 
Robert Pattinson, Guy Pearce. Oh, yeah. From a few years ago. And again, it's like Mad Max is set in a kind of post-apocalyptic landscape and there's something mm. has happened and a catastrophe that has beset the world and everything is sweat and everything is people just lying around in, in various states of undress because it's too hard to do anything else and there are no resources. And it's a really, really good film. If you haven't seen that, check it out. And, of course, the opening of Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm. The amazing opening of Once Upon a Time in the West where three... Three ne'er-do-wells are at a train station passing the time and waiting for Charles Bronson to show up in a train so they can murderalize him. Uh, But just like the good Dr. Kermode will with Jimbo, (laughs) old Chuck Bronson gets a drop in Oh, we'll find out. We will discover. It's an incredible evocation of of heat uh, because they're sitting there and there's nothing else to do except fan themselves and flies are buzzing around and water is dripping and the sound effects. It's like an 11-minute sequence. It's absolutely prefer. If you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in the West, then carve out three hours this weekend and check it out. If uh, I could, uh, of any film on this list, I would urge you to check out Once Upon a Time in the West and do the right thing. And Predator, and 12 Angry Men, and basically every film we've mentioned. You mentioning sound effects there just made me remember one that uh, does a great job of evoking heat in black and white, which was Roma. The the, mm. the soundscape of Roma, of there is something about that that audibly gets across the sense of heat in a way that's really hard to explain. You can just feel the sweat evaporate, hear the sweat evaporating, can't you? Yeah, even though, even though it is in black and white and you can't see the sort of bleached out sunlight... There's something about how insanely detailed that sort of soundscape is of mm. Mexico City. There's just it's in every bit of the sound design. It's kind of amazing. Mm. Yeah, it's a good list. I was pretty happy with that. Yeah. Why? Why are you looking at me, Jimbo? Your face just annoys the hell out of me. Hey, sorry, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll kill you so... as the starter, and commode will be the main course. <laughs> <laughs> it begins so, here. It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't even mention that one. We didn't even mention it, and we should have done. The greatest exploration of the effect of heat on the human mm-hmm. psyche. <laughs> Anchorman. James is fully on board with it. Ugh. <laughs> of course you don't like Anchorman. Of I was about to say, you don't, don't like, like Anchorman. Anchorman, but of course you it's don't like dreadful. Anchorman. Um, let's get on with it. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. You can do so on Twitter as Adam Stark found out much to his cost. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and we're on email as well, podcast at empireonline.com. A couple of quick things before we move on to the news portion of the show. Again, we're doing our live show at the London Podcast Festival on September 14th. Tickets are on sale right now. There's a whole bunch of film-related podcasts and other great podcasts that have nothing to do with film. And if you want to go see them... The Good Dr. Kermode, you want to see Anna Smith's Girls on Film Podcast, you want to see Sam Clements do 90 Minutes or Less live. I'm missing a whole bunch of other ones, but there are some great, great film podcasts that are going to be there as well. Uh, If you buy tickets to three or more shows at kingsplace.co.uk, then you get a discount. We're doing a live show Saturday, September 14th, uh, starting quite late in the day. We're we're closing the day. (laughs) And uh, I think it's 9.30 start. But yeah, tickets Mm -hmm. are available right now and we would love to see you there. Please do join us. And also... It's worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning. If you buy tickets to the Kermo podcast and not the Pilot TV podcast, you are never allowed to listen to the Empire podcast again. Yes, we have ways of monitoring this. Uh, We will make sure that... uh, That's a rule. We have people. We have people on this sort of thing. And uh, But one last thing. We want you to join us for that. But we also want to join you for a very special podcast that we will record in someone's home or the workplace or school or or wherever uh, because there's a we're a part of an auction to raise money for a very very worthy cause 
If you go to 32auctions.com and you search for the Empire Podcast, you will be able to bid to have us come and record a podcast wherever you want, as long as it's within the British Isles. Um, Oh, mainland Britain, should I say. Mainland Britain. And uh, the bidding currently stands at £450 and it closes on July 28th at 3pm BST. And I would like to see us get it up. £450? Come on. We can do better than that, surely. I don't get out of bed for less than a grand. Yeah. You can have <laughs> you James do. Dyer June explain to you <laughs> yeah. in the comfort of your own living room, and that's got to be worth that's, at least £27.50. It's got to so. be worth more than that. There we'll then do a fundraiser to make James leave as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. James likes your house. He will take it over. That's, that's how it works. Uh, so go to 32auctions.com, search Empire Podcast, and then do a bid. Do a big old bid, and we could be recording in your home. How exciting. Hurrah. Okay, so now it's time to talk about the movie news that's happened all week. Now, there was a lot of movie news, and a lot of it was Marvel-related at the San Diego Comic-Con in the Marvel Studios presentation. And we figured that talking about that would take a feral chunk of time. So rather than take 20 minutes of this podcast to go through that, we're going to do that separately. And that's going to be up by the time you listen to this. In fact, it will be available as a very, very short-ish Empire Podcast, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Comic-Con special, so we'll talk about that later on. But uh, just get a quick reaction to you guys about all the stuff that happened to Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, Black Widow solo movie, all the TV stuff on Disney+, and the other movie that I'm forgetting, which is... Eternals. Eternals, yes. Happy with that? Yes. Ooh. Sure. Yeah. 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 Happy? Squee, etc. Okay, well done. Thank you very much indeed. And now we can talk about stuff that isn't Marvel-related. Hurrah! Spider-Man Far From Home became the (laughs) first Spider-Man movie to cross the billion-dollar mark this weekend. And, of course, finally, at long last, Avengers Mm. Endgame has become the biggest movie of all time. Indeed. Helen, did you tip it over (laughs) the edge? (laughs) I haven't been to see it since my eighth time. So, really. Eight times, really. I went with you. We went to see the, the, the reissue. But that was that was my sixth. I didn't think you were too ahead of me. Well, you first you go to see Hamilton with Linny Manny. Yeah. And now you do this. I mean, I just can't, I can't even help it. look at you now. Well, that's the way it goes, Chris. I mean, there is, there is the possibility that they will reissue Avatar before Avatar 2 <laughs> comes old, out, in which arms. case it genuinely might not stand for very long. Big old um, arms race. It is a bit of an arms race, so we'll, we will see. But yeah, I mean, hooray and, and good work, Spidey. That is $3 billion movies this year Yeah, uh, for Marvel. And I think this is apparently only Sony's second billion dollar grocer after that uh, Skyfall. Skyfall. Yeah. yeah. So this may usher in a new edge for them as well. Very interesting stuff, of course. And uh, do you know the, the identity <coughs> of the last Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that didn't make a billion? Um... Ant-Man and the Wasp. That is correct, Ben Yay. Travis. Everyone's favourite. I mean, where's the justice in that? Walton no, the Goggins, Justice League is the other one. Walton yeah. Goggins goes out of his way to create an indelible, memorable character in Sonny Birch. He wore Sunny. shoes with no... Sonny Birch. Yeah, <laughs> you must Sunny. remember Sonny Birch. Right, sure. And Sunny how do people Sunshine. repay him? By only repelling the film to just 600 million worldwide. Oh. I think it should be re-released. The humiliation. Uh-huh. The shame. Endgame style re-release of Ant-Man and the Wasp with one deleted scene that isn't <laughs> finished and an introduction from... Because uh, there's only one director, so... Because they only did one Russo. So Just half, half of, of Peyton, Peyton Reese. Reese. Yeah, yeah, but they could. Bottom half or top they half. They could re-release it. What they could do is they could cut in some character development for Evangeline Lilly and then they could re-release it as a proper film. That's right. And then, as a post-credits postscript, you just watch all of Endgame. ha <laughs> Now that could make some money. Why do you guys hate Sonny Birch? <laughs> I don't hate Sonny Birch. 
I don't know why Sonny Birch is there. Yeah. And I have seen the film several times, but I don't hate him. Anyway, so that's exciting news. Uh, well done, commerce, and well done, giant. <laughs> well done, commerce. Well done, commerce, and well done, giant, great, big multinational corporation. Yep. Lots of good trailers and exciting trailers this week uh, that are probably worth a mention. Mm, there were. Zombieland Double Tap. Mm. Good title. Happy with that. Brings back the original cast. They take over the White House. We know that much. And they do seem to have a weird doppelganger situation going on. Yeah, I wasn't wild about this. Well, no, I liked it in a sort of Shaun of the Dead style, right? If it's that kind of thing. I'm intrigued to see who they've got as the other Emma Stone because obviously they were kind of holding back on that, I guess. We saw the other Mm. Tallahassee and the other whatever Jesse Eisenberg's (laughs) name was, but we haven't seen the other whatever Emma Stone's name was. It's a decent gag, but it, it did feel a little bit galling that they literally took it from Shaun of the Dead, from yeah. the other zombie comedy. It felt a little bit kind of... But, but there, but, that's one shot. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a really funny gag. Here, if there's something else to it, the fact you know, there's, yeah, some, there's another reason be. why they bump, bump them to, into doppelgangers, and I'm on board with it. Also, Thomas Middleditch is hilarious. Exactly. So uh, I'm very, very excited And I'm never, him. never not happy to see Luke Wilson. I think yeah. he's great, so... Absolutely. It looks as well like Luke Wilson's character, not only being the um, Tallahassee of the group, but there's definitely an element of Rick Grimes about him when he uh, when he steps out there with his scruffy beard and his big belt full that's of... That's right, yeah. Because yeah. that's right, the first zombie lamp was pre-Walking Dead, now it's post-Walking yeah. Dead, so... It's nuts Whoa. that that was 10 years ago, and that was Emma Stone pre-Easy like even Easy A. She'd done super bad by yeah. that point, but yeah. she hadn't done Easy A. Jesse Eisenberg pre-Social Network... So it's it's kind of amazing that they got everyone back for this. It is, yeah. yeah. I like Zombieland. Zombieland is so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I, this trailer didn't... It felt a little unsophisticated. I think that's that's what bothered me. I mean, look, let's not pretend Zombieland is hugely sophisticated. But it worked. It worked and it, had a, it was very stylistic and it wasn't stupid. And the doppelgang thing made me worry that this was going to be stupid. I may be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm looking forward to seeing this. But this did not knock me over. I like the fact that they're doing a sort of coming of age trope where the, this unit has basically been a family for yeah. 10 mm-hmm. years and then it's like oh like they're starting to get partners and break apart and just following that thread of if these people have been hanging out for 10 years even though it's the zombie apocalypse you'd still have those sort of yeah. Yeah. milestones yeah. in life so I quite like that 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 seems to be one of the main yeah. thrusts of this one mm. I, I, yeah I don't think that Ruben Fleischer's covered himself in glory as a director since then <laughs> uh, was it 30 minutes or less which actually should have been 30 minutes or fewer uh, Gangster so Squad Venom these are not great films, but hopefully this can be returned to form. And the fact that uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who are the writers of the original movie, are back on board, and the fact they managed to get everyone back, and the fact that Rosario Dawson's in it as well. Yes. Yeah. More Rosario Dawson, please, in everything. Uh, makes me very, very happy indeed. Although I do... The most unrealistic thing about this movie set in a post-apocalyptic landscape filled with zombies is that one group of people would be together just doing the same thing over and over again for 10 years. And I find that... Deeply unrealistic. James you'd never, Helen. yeah, you'd no, never find that, us. Would, you wouldn't. That no. wouldn't happen. Just, They'd have killed each other. Yeah, done other things. Day after day, day gone in, on day to out. do other things. Yeah, like like better, better jobs. Yeah, evolved, higher paid yes. things. Evolved in some way, and you not know, just, and, be. But the, just like you know, the formula. Would, that, who would do the same tedious formula over, over and, and over and again. without any kind of evolution growth. or growth or no. hairstyle change? Yeah, <laughs> in some cases, underwear change. I mean, oh, it's Chris. just what it's, I'm it's, just. It, I, it stretches. It stretches credulity. Just the I think. same yeah. beats mm. over. But then and to over. bring in new members, like to bring in like young, like a fresh token blood. young person, like a token, as, as if that's gonna somehow make it fresh. I yeah, like that idea. 
But it won't. It won't. Because no. ultimately, oh. they're just stuck staring at the same faces. I can't yeah. even look at the same faces. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know about out. you guys, but I can't. I'm so angry by, you know, by certain. Why did you see it like that? Anyway, um, so, yeah, I just, I just think that it, that didn't ring true to me. Mm. No. This might be the only zombie apocalypse film where the zombie apocalypse isn't technically a dystopia because this is a world where the Trump presidency never happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, may, what, what, if, what if we could actually it, live in the zombie land world? Wouldn't that be nice? It does make you kind of wistful, doesn't it? Although we might be not living so much as unliving or, huh. or actually dead. So, you know, you've got to put that in perspective. Yeah. I guess. Um, also, also this week was the Harriet trailer, which is the Harriet Tubman biopic with Cynthia Revo starring as the the woman who basically was a key member, a key figure in the Underground Railroad that helped slaves in the U.S. South escape to safety and freedom in the North. She's the one that they're planning to put on the $20 bill that Trump keeps trying to block. <laughs> I wonder why he keeps trying to block it's that. It's so weird, isn't mm. it? It's so strange. Interestingly, she was going to be on the $10 and she was going to replace Alexander Hamilton and then Alexander ha- Hamilton. Not even we were going to do that. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> and, and then Hamilton happens... And genuinely, there was an outcry about taking him off the currency. And so she was moved to the $20 bill, which is better anyway, because she's replacing Andrew Jackson, I think, who was horrible. (laughs) So anyway, the trailer is up. This is very much a sort of, I feel like it's going to be a fairly mainstream action heavy by the looks of this trailer. Although in fairness, this could be the entire total of the action in, in the film take on her life but she was an extraordinary woman she was about four foot nothing and the reason she could help all these people escape was that she was sent as a one woman truck company because she could load up these huge wagons by herself and then drive these huge wagon teams by herself and that's why she was able to go around in relative freedom and actually help people and rescue people and she has escaped from slavery herself mm. and then dedicated her life to getting other people out of slavery it looks like an incredible story and it's something that we don't get taught here in schools i think she's a, mm. a relatively kind of high profile yeah. figure in, in, in american yeah. uh, history lessons and that kind of thing that um americans will know who harriet tubman is but i think a lot of people in the UK kind of don't. And even if this is a fairly straightforward telling of her story, it seems like something that we really need right now just for this kind of story to be told uh, to a much bigger audience. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Cynthia Erivo looks incredible. She, I mean, in she's, a, she's stunning. So it's uh, Cassie Lemons uh, directing. It's also mm-hmm. got Janelle Monae in it. It's also got the yes. aforementioned Leslie Odom Jr. Yes. Um, so it's it's looking pretty good to me, I have to say. Speaking of Janelle Monae, she signed on this week to star yeah. in Homecoming Season 2 which was uh, Julia Roberts' mm. fronted show on Amazon that I never saw, but Jimbo, I presume you did? No, as it happens. Although, <laughs> weirdly, I went round to my mum's house last night and she was watching it. So okay. if you like, I can get her on the phone she can tell us what she thought of it. Okay. I seem to recall she said it was quite confusing. I believe it mm. is, uh, intentionally so, though. <laughs> uh, and this is, uh, Julia Roberts is not returning for season two, but they've drafted in Janelle Monet to play a, uh, a new character, a woman who wakes up in a canoe with no memory of who she is or how she got there. So sounds exciting. And it may have some cast members returning from the first season as well. Incidentally, I have Google Home. And if you ask it to play Janelle Monet on Spotify, it goes, plain Janelle Mona. Uh, so either we've been pronouncing it wrong or no, Google is. Google is. It doesn't understand um, E acute, I think. <sighs> Better Alexa would get it right. Hey, speaking of things we don't understand... Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's new film, I'm a little confused by. The Last Duel. The Last Duel. So this has apparently got Ridley Scott looking to direct and Nicole Holofcener working on the script Mm -hmm. um, with Damon and Affleck. Yes. 
this is all quite cool. So that collection of people, great people, love them. The story, though, is a lot. So this is a Norman knight, uh, Jean de Carouge, and his squire, Jacques de Legris. And they were friends, and Jean goes off to war, and Legree is accused of raping Jean's wife when Jean gets home. Mm-hmm. So then no one believes her, obviously. So Jean, I think, then appeals to the King of France to undo the decision that she's lying, and they have to fight a duel to the death. And basically, if the husband loses, he and his wife will be killed because they will be considered to have lied. And if if he kills his friend, then... That will okay. be his only route to justice. I don't know. This is a really weird subject, I feel like. And I'm comforted that Nicole Holofcener is in there because I think she's great and very smart and uh-huh. maybe more sensitive to some of these issues than perhaps Matt Damon has shown himself to be in the past, despite, I think, his very good intentions. Mm. But it just it strikes me as something that has a, a large potential to be disastrous. But Ridley Scott directing a, the first screenplay by Ben Affleck and yeah. Matt Damon since Goodwill Hunting with Nicole Holofcener, who's brilliant, involved as well. I don't see... I think this could be brilliant. I don't see... It could be. And it, I, it could also be... I, I understand mm, the subject matter. I, I saw yeah. I saw someone on, on Twitter railing against this week. I honestly didn't... I was like, oh, this sounds great. Brilliant. Line up the Oscars. This is going to... You know, fantastic. Because they, they haven't written together since Goodwill Hunting, which is crazy when you yeah, think it about is, it. Yeah. They've both written separately for themselves and you know Damon's written for Gus Van Sant and worked in some of the, the Bourne movies as a writer mm. as well and you're thinking okay this is this is interesting why haven't they worked together obviously they had their careers and they, they yeah. focus on acting and their careers diverged but they were really Google Hunting's a fantastic screenplay yeah. and obviously there was lots of rumours flying around about William Goldman's involvement in it but I don't, I don't think that was the case at all I think he gave them the advice but he didn't they wrote that screenplay and so I'm really excited to see a screenplay from them again and yes, it's tackling a really dark subject, but... Right. The reason that this could be great is precisely because we're in a time when there's a whole lot of discussions about who we believe, who we consider mm. credible, what gets taken seriously and what doesn't. That's also the reason that it could be horribly wrong. And I feel like there is the potential for ham-fisted addressing of the questions of rape and the questions of who believes whom when it comes to accusations and the questions of... Where justice lies, basically. I, I realise that this is set hundreds of years ago. I I, I like all of these people involved. I'm just mm. a little wary of all potential pitfalls. I share your concerns for very much the same reasons, but hope for the best. Yes. I, I think they're all very, very smart people. They're all very, very talented. They, I'm, I'm excited about this. They I, are very smart people, but like if you think about the ways that Matt Damon has put his foot in it several times <laughs> in recent years, <laughs> and <laughs> I believe he's a very well-meaning person. Yeah, I don't think that Matt Damon's cancel, for example, I've seen an awful lot going around this week. Dear God. Um, I'm hopeful that they make a good movie, I and I'm, I'm excited about Ridley Scott, who, of course, began his directorial career with The Duelists, mm-hmm. making a film called mm-hmm. The Last Duel. Beyond um, the sort of politics of the story, will there be a song where chance they sort of explain the Ten Commandments of a duel and explain how a duel works in ten handy steps. I'm trying to think if that's ever been done before. Has that before. ever been done, I wonder, in a Like musical, the Ten Duel Commandments or something? Ten Duel Commandments. It's a, it's a catchy title it anyway, is. Ben. There's, I, think, there's, I think there's something in there. Someone should look into that. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda, maybe. I can't help feeling something's happening that I don't understand. It's a song in Hamilton. Oh, good God. Um, speaking of things that no one can really understand. Vin Diesel has been on social media this week, which is always entertaining. In this case, to tell us that the script for Riddick 4 Furia is now a thing. 
It is finished. It is done. It's the film the world has been clamouring for since we saw The Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, yeah, so this is the thing that's And Riddick. Happening. Don't forget Riddick. Oh, and who can forget Riddick? I mean, I'm trying, but <laughs> yeah. you shouldn't. It's you know. one of those things. It's so funny because Pitch Black is such a good film such and came movie. out of nowhere. And it's incredible. But unfortunately, what's good about Pitch Black largely is, yes, Riddick is a character, but it was the concept, the idea that this is a guy who can see in the dark and he's in a planet where it's night and the things come out at night and it all just fits together into this brilliant horror film and then David Toohey decided he wanted to turn it into a sci-fi Lord of the Rings so then you've got this huge broad political incredibly on the nose incoherent film with, <laughs> incoherent <laughs> nonsense with crematoria the prison flame planet and then baddies called the necromongers mm. and it was just like seriously and that's when we found out that Riddick was a quote unquote Furian Furian yeah uh, and then we have a brief interlude in Riddick where they try and recapture the concept of Pitch Black but make it a little bit creepy mm-hmm. very very creepy mm-hmm. poor Starbuck and now this now originally he'd spoke, he'd spoken about this, this film before before this was written I believe Riddick said, Riddick said, this is Riddick, <laughs> Diesel said that this would be an origin story. Oh, no. Now, we don't know if it's going to be one, but I don't know that he knew he was a Furian. Am I right in saying this? Why am I looking at you? You don't know, do you? I don't, I don't remember. think he knew he was a Furian. So an origin games, story would though. just be him. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. And nobody cares. Yeah, okay. yeah. Except for David Toohey <laughs> yeah. and Finn Diesel. I mean, you're and not wrong. No, I mean, the, the, I still have a, I want to have goodwill towards this franchise so because I. I love the first film like Guys. James. Judy Dench exactly was in the Chronicles of Riddick as a freaking angel, as person. an angel. <laughs> I, you know, and I love that kind of crazy cast. And the the casting in that film is great. Colin mm. Fiore, uh, Carl Urban, Urban yeah. um, uh, Tandy Newton. Newton. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's great, great yeah. people. The problem was just it made no sense. And then and then Riddick would have been maybe no, it was a really forgettable sci-fi. Like even apart from the creepiness and the sexism, it was just it I was me- just I forgettable. Nothing about it. Yeah. They were nothing on a planet. It. There was a, a beacon for aid, and then some people. I don't know. And what made the aliens come? out on that one I've forgotten were, were they under ali- the ground yeah they were under the ground and they came out of the ground but I can't remember what caused them to come out of the ground. it wasn't night in the it- first film when it's night the monsters come out on this I think I could be making this up when it rained they came out of the ground. There's huh. a chance we're spending too long on these movies. Yeah. <laughs> you think? Uh, there's a chance. There's a chance David Toohey spent too long on these movies. <laughs> there was other fancy news that I was interested in, which was the news that Catherine Hardwick is set to direct Heathen, which is based on a comic. And I saw a sort of... Um, Previsy kind of thing for this. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention that. I think I am. Anyway, I saw a thing for this, which was very cool. So it's basically about a female Viking warrior, which is a real historical thing. They actually existed. It's not just in the series Vikings. Um, And she's scorned by her village because she kisses another woman. So she basically decides this whole patriarchy thing is not good. I'm going to go and kill Odin, who obviously is responsible for it. And that's kind of the story. So it's basically mm. this warrior trying to kill the king of the gods. Awesome. Sounds yeah. cool. Yep. And Catherine Hardwick's cool and I think deserves the chance to do something a bit actiony and yes, interesting. There is a sense, weirdly, since uh, she directed uh, since Twilight that she's almost been weirdly been in movie jail. Which mm. only yeah. seems to happen, of course, to female directors. Mm. And uh, she's struggled to get movies off the ground since then. So it's good to see that uh, that's happening. Hopefully that will happen yeah. uh, very, very soon. But we should talk about the Picard trailer, which debuted oh. at Comic-Con and which mm. sent Twitter into raptures. Yeah. Mm. And it, not just Twitter, I'm guessing, right? Oh, yeah, pretty oh, much, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. We, we missed this by like a day on the pilot podcast, and I think the entire listenership was very relieved. I mean, this was... I've been banging on about Picard for ages, and all of the marketing to date has been quite 
vineyard based. Mm. Like we've had images of vines, we've had him standing in a vineyard with a dog. You know, we haven't had anything that we've really... had wine labels. We've had wine labels. <laughs> I mean, Christ! And then this gave you the Borg. It gave you Romulans. It gave you seven of nine. It gave you data. Like, data. Oh my God! There was so much going on here, and it, they haven't laid out what this is about. But it seems to be that something has happened to Picard, uh, Admiral Picard, to get mm-hmm. him to leave Starfleet ten years ago. Now. It seems to tally up with something that Leonard Nimoy says in Star Trek 2009 film about the destruction of Romulus. So it seems to be the, the demise of the Romulan Empire. Ah, and there's, there's a that big, line about the yeah, greatest re- yeah. rescue effort in history. And I think he's part of that rescue effort. And something about that causes him to hand in his commission and basically go back to making wine. He meets a young woman who seems to have some sort of portentous heritage. She's referred to as the destroyer at one point. And he puts together a motley crew of people, including a treadaway. <laughs> including motley crew and a treadaway, <laughs> yes. which is both things you want. And is there a scene with the cast of the, the crew of the Enterprise stick their dicks and burritos? So that, yeah, okay, anyway. <laughs> that's, that, <laughs> no, not that I've seen. Okay. But, but interestingly here, so you see there's a Borg cube in this. Seven of Nine makes an appearance, looking like she's grown as a character since the end of Voyager. Seven of Nine's a remember card. She hasn't. Right. But she's mates with uh, with Janeway and Janeway knows Picard, so okay. presumably them at a dinner party. Big shock. Um, yeah, so she goes to see him. There's also there's a there's like what looks like some sort of Azat penal colony, mm-hmm. and there's a sign that says it's been five thousand plus days since an assimilation. So is that in a Borg cube? Are they Borg prisoners? It seems to be Borg related. So there seems to be a lot of Borg action and the, in the, this. Yeah, the cube seems to be being worked on. Yeah, and like it's, it's not quite not, clear. It, and what's... it's also blue light in it, not green yeah. light. So you wonder whether it's an old cube. So there seems to be that. Well, I think what's most exciting about this is we've not played in this time. Lines. Mm. Like since, like it's been twenty years since Nemesis, and we've not we've done lots of Star Trek things, but we've never found out what happened post Nemesis. You know, we've never seen what happens to the universe yeah. there. Oh, it's understandably post Nemesis, <laughs> everyone just kind of yeah. just kind well, of went. I oh, didn't God. hate but, you Nemesis. Know, like, Deep Space Nine ended, Voyager ended, Next Gen yeah. ended. All these things stopped, and then There's fertile grounds. Were just exactly, saying. and okay. I'm fascinated. You know, what 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 is the state of the Romulan Empire after the yeah. destruction of Romulus? Now, what happened to the Borg post First Contact? You know, yeah. all and post the the finale of Voyager. There's lots of exciting things that I want to know. And also just seeing Captain Picard be Captain Picard again, Admiral, whichever, and seeing yeah. him talk to Data, that just destroyed me. I'm mm. just like, oh my God, I didn't know how much I needed this back in my life. I need it back in my life. Oh, uh, and so of course excited. it was confirmed that uh, we will see Riker and Troy as We well. will indeed. Also, Jonathan Del Arco is in this mm. and he played Hugh in Iborg. Do you remember this? And oh, Descent. Yeah. So he was the kind of self-aware Borg that gets released back to the collective. Now, he was on the panel and he's in it. We don't know if he's reprising that role, though. We can assume he is. And there is a kind of naked does, man in the trailer who looks like he's had implants removed. I, that might have been him. I couldn't tell. Does Picard still have part of Lacutus uh, still in him? Does he still have that? He, that... I think he carries the emotional baggage. He doesn't mm. have any implants. And for example, if they were to commandeer an old, unfinished Borg vessel, would no. he be able to pilot it? I don't think so, though he hears the Borg in first contact at the beginning he hears them mm. like when they when they converge he does hear them yeah. coming so there's something going so on there exciting. just throwing but it then, out there but mm. then I don't know in a post Alice Krieg world like the Borg are not quite what they were yeah but you know exciting times though very exciting despite Akiva Goldsman's presence exciting times <laughs> despite that 2020 yeah early 2020 early 2020 this all is my right. this is the new June for me I'm, I'm moved on from June it's all about Picard now oh, wow I'm telling June oh Christ all excitement for Picard has now gone out the window <laughs> uh, but yeah very very exciting indeed uh, just a couple of last very very quick things uh, it was announced just before Comic Con I'm not sure if it was announced as part of Comic Con or not but there are two more Halloween movies about to start shooting and they're about to start shooting back to back and they'll have David Gordon Green as director and Danny McBride as co-writer mm-hmm. and Jamie Lee Curtis as a star. And they're called Halloween Kills, mm-hmm. which will be out next year, around October. <laughs> 
And then Halloween ends in 2021. It won't, though, will it? I think this version of it will. Okay. But I'm not sure about reboots and remakes and whatnot. Shooting back to back seems wise, though, because that way you can like maximize your field of vision. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do because Michael Myers obviously died at the end of the last Halloween. Spoiler! So, you know, that's sure, never sure stopped them before. Yeah. I'm sure there's no way he's going to be coming back. Nope. 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 That's going to happen. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of that David Gordon Green Halloween. I'll be completely honest. Uh, I felt that it, it hit all the same beats that Halloween H2O did 20 years earlier but just not as well. Hmm. But I'm hopeful that maybe they'll be able to bring back Josh Hartnett. That would be good. <laughs> I, I really liked the recent Halloween. I know we, we just have different mm. opinions on this one. I'm kind of intrigued, though, because what I liked about the recent Halloween was it was a very clear idea to sort of ignore all the other sequels, follow up with Laurie sort of 40 years later, that that was a very clean thread into a new take on the on the story and on the mythos. And then sequelizing it, I mean, it's it's great that you have those characters to play with, but I wonder what the idea behind that's going to be. There was a very clear concept to what they wanted to do with the yeah. recent Halloween. So I'm, I'm intrigued, especially that they're doing the back-to-back thing, yeah. if it's going to be a story that spans both of those films or if they're just rolling with this cast. Because yeah. mm. they, they uh, for me, I thought the cast worked really well. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, there were things I liked about it. I'm not writing it off by any stretch yeah. of imagination, but I just thought that uh, it wasn't as good or elegant as a horror film. And it was weirdly... Celebratory in his attitude towards Michael Myers, which I don't think it should have been, but you know, hey ho. I wish them all the best. Uh, you could argue, of course, that having two horror films back to back, knowing that there's a third one coming out, might dissipate tension somewhat. Maybe. Yeah. But we shall see. And finally, uh, some very, very sad news to end off the news section. Uh, we lost two very, very great character actors this week. First off, the British actor Jeremy Kemp, who people might know from his role in, well, if anyone listened to this podcast has seen said cars, I'll be absolutely amazed. But uh, he shot the fame in said cars, uh, which is the the famous uh, cop TV drama. Then he was in the likes of the Blue Max. He played Picard's brother in Next Gen. Of course he did. Mm-hmm. The one who persuades him to leave the vineyard and go back to uh, to to Starfleet after he has suffered uh, assimilation at the hands of the Borg. So he was great in that, but I will uh, always remember him. He was General Streck in Top Secret, which is a oh. film I never bang on about here on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, he is at the center of two of his best jokes. Uh, so one is the phone conversation where, in fact, I think it's the same thing. I think it's exactly the same scene uh, where there is, he gets a phone call. There is a phone in the foreground. Uh, the phone is massive in the foreground. It's he in the is foreground. in the back. It's in the foreground. And he's in... <laughs> He's in the background. He walks over to the phone. He picks it up. The phone is giant. <laughs> it's an amazing side gag. And then he has that incredible, incredible line. He's on the phone to the hospital. Yes. He goes, well, yes. let me know if his condition changes. He puts down the phone and goes, he's dead. <laughs> and he played it absolutely so straight. So good. So so very, very good indeed. He was 84 and he passed away. So Jeremy Kemp, uh, he shall be missed. Mm. And then, of course, there was Rutger Hauer. The great Mm. Rutger Hauer, who died this week at 75. And this one hit me hard a little bit, I'll be honest with you, because I thought, honestly, he was made of oak. I did not imagine him to to succumb in his mid-70s, or indeed at all. And he's just an incredible actor, Dutch actor, shot to fame in his homeland with movies like Soldier of Orange and Spetters for, for Paul Verhoeven. 
and he caught the eye of Hollywood. I uh, went over to Hollywood, and and because of his looks, he was tall, he was mm-hmm. blonde, he was he had these piercing blue gray eyes, and uh, he was intimidating. He was an intimidating figure, and so Hollywood stuck him into a load of bad guy roles. Mm. But the interesting thing about Rutger Howard is that he actually managed to break out of that stuff. He he managed to break out of the mold of bad guys. You know, obviously, you know, Nighthawks. If anyone's ever seen that film, the Sly Stallone film, uh, Blade Lady Runner. Hawk. Yeah, because he managed to somehow then become almost a romantic lead mm-hmm. in films like Lady Hawk and an action hero in films like My Beloved Blind Fury. Mm. And he was split just... Split second. Split salute second. Salute of the jugger. Salute of the jugger. Oh my God, what a guy. What a legend. The Hitcher. Mm. The mm-hmm. Hitcher is fucking amazing film. If you haven't seen The Hitcher, the original Hitcher, ignore the Sean Bean remake. Mm-hmm. I was on set <laughs> oh, of that. Yeah. Uh, Farago. No, don't go near there. But do go check out the original it's an incredible, incredible film and he is terrifying in it yeah. as basically the devil. And then, of course, there's Blade Runner. And then there's Blade Runner, which is, I mean, that was the thing that everybody was posting pictures from. Everybody was, of course, posting that those final words from Blade Runner um, the other night because they're just monumental. They're, they're, you know, it's one of the finest moments. It's certainly one of the finest deaths in mm. cinema history. And a lot of that came from him and he had real creative input into that moment. And, of course, Ridley Scott had the the sense to see that he had something gold and and go with it, you know. But it's an incredible, incredible scene, and of course, it and it's an incredible memorial to him. Yeah, I think that moment. I know it's the easy one to go to for for Rutger Howard, but it's it's one of my all time favorite film scenes. There is so much mystery to that scene, but it also tells you so much at the same time. It's it tells you the impossible vastness of what somebody sees in their life yeah. that will always be completely unknowable. Of what we and lose when we lose anyone. Like, yeah. not to get too highfalutin about it, but like the sort of essence of <laughs> of humanity and mortality and the human experience that in the space of like a minute cuts to the very heart of that is absolutely astonishing. It's just one of the most beautiful, beautiful film scenes of all time, I'd say. If you like that, Ben, you're going to love Blind Fury, in which he plays a Vietnam veteran who is blind, but is also a master swordsman. Uh, it's an <laughs> is incredible he furious? Film. No, he's not that uh, mad, actually. No, he's he's until the end, yeah. Does he use his sword to cut to the very heart of the human experience? He cuts to the heart of many humans. <laughs> <laughs> and in later years, as he got craggier, he was a Batman Begins, Hobo with a yeah. Shotgun, The Last Kingdom. Uh, incredible, incredible actor. I had True, the pleasure, blood. True Blood. I he was a pleasure, fairy godfather. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times, and he was uh, an awesome, awesome dude. Very laconic, very laid back. Did you see, you see the story that the, the Galway Film Festival put up this week that they had him as a guest in 1993 and he just rocked up on a motorbike apparently and just had a had a hoolie for a couple of days left saying I've just seen, I've just met the last wild man in the world and then they offered to reimburse him for his, for his trouble he went I've got more money in this festival you keep it <laughs> and off he went but in a nice way not, oh, a, yeah. not a horrible way uh, he was an incredible incredible guy Rutger Hauer he will be missed time now for this week's guests uh, Jimbo Animals Animals. It's an exciting film, isn't it? It is an exciting film. What's yes. it about? Uh, it is, well, I think it's been described as uh, as With Nail for Girls, which I thought was uh, incredibly reductive. So I decided to call it Fight Club for Women because that's just as reductive. Uh, but it's, <laughs> Thanks, uh, James. That's really helped. <laughs> uh, Alia Shawkat and Holly Granger play uh, young women in their 20s who are sort of hard living, hard drinking, and Holly Granger's character meets a young man played by Farfay, and that taxes their, shall we say, hard-living friendship. What's really good about this, I think, is it portrays these women as actual, you know, proper, rounded, 
unapologetic characters. You know, they drink, they sleep with whoever they want to, they act like actual humans and not are not restrained by the expectations that society and, let's be honest, films often put on female leads. And it's, it's really refreshing and they're great characters. I really enjoyed this film. I had loads of fun with it. And uh, they were quite fun to talk to as well. Okay, so this is Holiday Granger and Alia Shawkat from Arrested Development, a show you've never seen. I have seen it. I have seen it. I've really? not watched all of it. I watched the first season and then a couple of others, but then realised it was trying to be funny and you know how I feel about that. <sighs> Those comedies will insist on doing that. Mm. And, and some cases, in the case of maybe Arrested Development, they Succeeding. succeed. Succeeding. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but... Uh, not of late, though. But you are a Borg. I am. Therefore... Resistance is for your time. Yeah, very much so. But anyway, here we go. Uh, James talking to Holiday Granger, and if you're listening to This America, Vacation Granger, and uh, Alia <laughs> Shawkat, do please enjoy. Holiday Granger, Alia Shawkat, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Hello. How are you? All right. Good, good, good. Yeah. So, I've seen the film, which I very much enjoyed. People listening to this will not have seen the film. So, mm. for those who haven't yet had a chance, can you tell us a little bit about these two women around whom this whole thing revolves? Yes. It's a story about Laura and Tyler. Yeah. Last name's not necessary. Um, yeah, it's about two best friends who live in Dublin, Ireland, and know how to have a crack. <laughs> I always use that word wrong. Have, have the crack. Right? Have, crack. have crack. Okay, yeah, have crack. Which means oh, a good time. We still have yeah. not learned that. So it's, no, it's been a year, I know. All our friends are going to be, Sal is going to yeah, be so disappointed gonna, with us. Yeah. But yeah, two girls know how to have a great old time, uh, maybe too much. And um, they're reaching a point in their lives where priorities are starting to shift. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously based on a book, which is not set in Dublin at all, but instead set in Manchester. Yeah. So... First of all, I guess, why was it a logistical change? Like, why, why the? Because it's all about Dublin. This is very like the city is a big part of this yeah. film, and in the book, it is Manchester is very much yeah. a part of it too. So, I guess, why the change? Uh, finances. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just cheaper to shoot in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not quite as romantic a story, is it? Um, that you were about to say the legacy yeah, and the exactly. poets. But it all was meant to be because it did feed all those things. I yeah. know. Dublin well, was like, meant to be. Funny that she, like Laura in the book, yeah. her biggest um, inspiration is Yates. And yeah. then we were in Dublin and I was, you know, and it's just, it's just so, yeah, it kind of it all made sense literarily. Yeah. And, um, and also I think that it was when we moved, when Sophie called me to say <laughs> so we uh, we might not be able to like secure funding in England but in uh, in Ireland we can yeah I was like a bit of my heart was like because people I have a like that Manchester pride thing yeah. and love the book because I knew everywhere in it and I knew them and but I love Dublin as a city anyway I spent quite a bit of time there and I've always wanted to do an Irish accent and so and I think that it's quite transferable actually I think um the Irish and the English are very different but I think Dubliners and Mancunians mm. are quite similar. And as cities, it's quite, they're kind of, they've both got a very strong literary and um, musical history. And there's a pride and a no-nonsense attitude that people have, I think. Yeah. And so it all made sense to just, like, it was very easy, like, pick up and move. How long did you get to, to spend there? Um, well, like six weeks altogether, yeah. I think. Six, seven weeks, yeah. Okay. Weeks. So, I mean, what, what did you get to go out there before it all started and just sort of drink in the place yeah we had rehearsals yeah as well as well, drinking in the place yeah. i was about to say surely yeah. they're one of the same thing really for this isn't it is there a uh, sense that like rehearsals is let's hit dublin and get twatted you know yeah. that's part of it and then also script work and um, yeah yeah, yeah. and getting side. to know each other yeah. yeah yeah um yeah it was a combination sophie had a lot of great uh rehearsal exercises 
character work, sharing stories, spending time together, practicing bigger scenes. So mm. by the time we were actually shooting them, we kind of had a blocking already set up. And then, yeah, then going to bars, um, having these kind of fun assignments where we would, you know, Holly and I would be sent to the bar we'd be shooting in later and just have an assignment to go get a drink there and hang out. So it was a combination of, yeah, like falling in love with the city as much as with these characters. Mm. That's not the worst assignment, I guess. You can no, be not at all. It's a pretty good job. But you it, have I, homework. Well, you go. <laughs> yeah, loads of homework. <laughs> rounds of homework. But it's interesting you talk about, about exercises because this whole thing hinges on the relationship between you two being very authentic, which it is. But of course, you didn't necessarily know each other and you almost certainly didn't have to audition for this. So there wasn't like a chemistry test or anything. So was it just a case of trying to organically build this or is just going out in the town in Dublin the way to do that? Um, I guess it was, you know... A little combo of both. Yeah. But we got we, lucky. We kind of as well, we knew of each other beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's like, I I mean, I already had an impression of Ali. I was just like, I like this girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'd made my mind up before I met her. I mean, that helps. Thank God for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, chemistry is a hard thing to yeah. define. Um, it's a lot of risk. Like um, most films, there's usually a character, not all, but like where... It really depends, especially in like romantic storylines. You're mm. like, well, let's just hope this works out. And mm. sometimes, some you know, there's amazing chemistry, and those people end up working together in many films afterwards. But it's not really something that you can 100% know if it works. So, it was, you know, Sophie's decision to cast us, um, Holiday was attached to it before I was, and I weirdly I told Holiday this, but my mom always used to think that we should work together. She was like, you and this actress Holiday Granger, I think, would be wonderful <laughs> together. And I was like, all right, well, I'll try and make it happen. And then I was like, guess what? I'm playing her best friend. So she's thrilled. Um, yeah, so she's she's happy about it. But um, yeah, I think it was just we were kind of lucky, and then we both have similar you know temperaments with the way that we approach our work, and um, and then yeah, we just like hit it off. So yeah. we were lucky that way. It's funny you mentioned romance, because the way the, the film starts is about when the two characters first meet, and it feels like a traditional kind of romantic setup, mm. which I guess makes sense, because in many ways it is a bit of a love story between these two friends and the evolution of that relationship. Like, was that part of the, the appeal of kind of doing this? Because you don't get that an awful lot, you know, where it kind of prioritises almost like a platonic friendship over romantic relationships, which films don't tend to do. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of like, the draws for me of the book when I first read it, mm. um, aside from Manchester. Because <laughs> um, like, female friendships is probably one of the most important things in, in my life. I have really close mm. friends and that's quite often in films very underrepresented because it's quite often like the second, you know, it's the secondary to the love story. Yeah. Or um, or you see a lot of like male friendships on screen. but. It hasn't, in, in terms of, I say underrepresented in terms of like how important I think it is to, mm. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's the way it's represented as well, because there's, you see all the all the flaws within the characters mm. and within the friendship, and you kind of see the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that just, just has an integrity and a reality to it that is what we want to watch. Right? Mm. It's interesting, because it doesn't feel like the film's not judging them. Do you know what I mean? Like It portrays their lifestyle, but it doesn't get you to draw kind of a moral judgment on there's no sort of punishment for them or any yeah. kind of judgment there it's just yeah. these these people they are people and kind of accept them for who they are was that something that kind of sophie and and then were kind of keen be un, sort of an underlying theme in this yes. i think so i think that was sort of unsaid though that's just yeah. like what is what is the truth because if this yeah. were a studio movie that what would be a very truth? different thing yeah you know like someone would have died there would have been a horrible yeah. comeuppance maybe back in 1954 or something but uh <laughs> yeah i mean you watch films back then and if a woman kissed a man she would die well. soon after um <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's happening less and less, at least the punishment aspect of it. But I, I guess it's true. The gays, there, is, is, there isn't a, a judgmental judgment on these characters, which is beautiful. But yeah, I think the inception of this idea that was birthed in Emma's you know, brain, uh, I don't think it ever started from a place like that because it mm-hmm. came from a, her own story. Yeah. And uh, she, she is of the same you know, ilk as these women. So we all kind of are, without knowing each other separately in the world and coming together, never judge these kinds of people. Mm. What did you make of their their friendship? I mean, was it to you? Was it supportive? Was it kind of toxic? Like, was it all of the above? Because it's very layered. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also there's a slight disparity. There's manipulation. There's all sorts of aspects to it. Did you feel that it was a negative thing? Did you feel it was a positive thing? Or did you feel it wasn't? You know, that's quite reductive. I think the, their friendship has probably been different things, and all of all mm. of the above. Um, and different over the last yeah like really good friends lives. are yeah. yeah yeah and it just so happens that we meet them at a time when maybe it's be- becoming not the best thing for them mm. and it, as much as they will they'll always be a like they'll always have heartstrings attached to each other that um it's maybe the um they need to go and explore something for themselves because there's that underlying conversation, isn't it, about what, not just what your choices are, but what your choices are expected to be, like mm-hmm. where you fit into the world, which I guess is something that tends to be forced on women in some ways, many much, much more than men. Like mm-hmm. you get to point, it's like if you're not thinking about, you know, whether it be getting married or having children or whatever it is, it's kind of exemplified in the film where there's the exchange of magazines. And it mm, feels like yeah. the commodification of what women are supposed to be. Here's my mm. bridal magazine. Here's my wedding magazine. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Was, where did you, you fall on that? Do you think that's something that's less an issue these days I think that depends in what kind of culture you surround yourself with yeah. it's very that's kind of easy for us to say oh, hopefully not but then in some places yeah. absolutely weirdly um, some places in, we're finding in the world this kind of wave of um, like over conservatism people are becoming more conservative now yeah, yeah uh, the I've more noticed. modern it gets yeah it's, it's a very strange um, reaction you think the future is new but um both exist. I think someone asked us earlier, like, do you think you can be free and still have a kind of what's considered a more normal, conservative, maybe female role, like getting Mm. married and having kids and giving up work? And for me personally, I don't define that as freedom. But of course you can be. And as Holiday said, too, it's like a state of mind, like to be free. But um, yeah, I guess that's the, the hope is that everyone feels like there's more of a choice and that we, whether you're male, female or whatever, you don't define yourself based off of society and mm. you just are trying to do what um, what you feel like your time has allotted you on it's this about, earth. Uh, curating your experiences. Curating oh, your own good. desires. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I've not, I'll be honest, I've not read the book, but it's written from Laura's point of view, isn't it? Yeah. Like some yeah. of the things. So we get a real understanding from, I gather, of what makes Laura tick in the book. But mm. I guess Tyler's slightly more opaque. Like you, you, yeah. you see her from Laura's perspective of who she is. Yeah. When you were digging into this, did you, were you encouraged to kind of fill in the gaps yourself? Did you speak to Emma about it? Like where did you form your image of who Tyler was? Well, I had read the book not until we, um, I got to Dublin mm. and um, when we were doing rehearsals because we were kind of going through the book and looking over quotes and then I read it then for the first time. But I kind of wanted to make my own assessment of Tyler because this might have been the only time I did it another time where I played a character that was written in a book before and um, I didn't want it to feel like I was just grasping or I wanted to just make my own assessment of her first and make her specific to me. Yeah. 
but yeah when it comes to you know the book has a lot more details that are that aren't in the film um about tyler so it was kind of a combination of me just wanting to create this like other being and because it was in laura's perspective you know it's like that famous like fight club thing you're like is she real like we don't know but it's like it, it she has this kind of quality to her that's like she can be so many things even though she's so flawed so i just kind of wanted to keep that open i guess yeah, it's yeah. funny you mentioned Fight Club because that was in my head, not just because her name's Tyler. Yeah, but yeah. But when I was watching this, because this, I think it was Kathleen Moran described this as kind of with nail for girls, like that was right. her thing on it. I was like, this is Fight Club for women, you know? Yeah. There's a whole <laughs> subtext here. That's a big here. statement. Yeah. I was expecting this like at the end. She's not real. She's a projection right. of her mind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. God, that that story really, you know, fucked it up for everybody. Everyone's like, <laughs> is anyone real anymore in a movie? <laughs> it's an easy escape. Yeah. yeah. You do a a particularly good rendition of uh, Royals. On, oh, uh, gosh, uh, in this you. film was that written for you into the script or did you get to choose it is this is that like your go-to it was karaoke in the script. number no it was okay. in the script and uh not to brag but i had to sing it double time remember <laughs> in order for it to oh, match yeah, the clearly. slow-mo oh really so i literally had to be like we'll never be royals we can be okay i had to sing it like super fast <laughs> and dance and dance and at the dance same time. Fast time so double time yeah. singing double time dancing in order for it to like match the slow mo, so I was like, "Oh my god, if this sounds anywhere on key, I'm I'm appreciative." But um, that sounds like a karaoke it was nightmare. Tricky. Yeah, it, it was, was. It was it a karaoke was, I nightmare. I have to say, it was amazing to watch because when we listened, it was to tricky. The, we got to certain listen to the backing trap, and everyone was looking around, going, "Oh my god!" I mean, there's no fucking way I can do this. This is impossible. It's like no one can sing that fast. Yeah. And then it was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah." It was like a little wind up doll. It was so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it was written in, and uh, we were, I remember them being like, we have to make sure we could get the rights and blah, 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 yeah. but we did. So we were very happy to, appreciative to Lord. Are you, I mean, you've done lots and lots of singing. Is karaoke a thing? Is that one of your go-to social events? You know, no, I'm not against it, but really? it's not my personal, because I like singing. I take it a little too seriously. Uh, and I think people yeah. who love karaoke are like, they like know all the songs. And to me, I'm like, I'm like the loser who's like, wants to pick a song I sound really good in. And I'm like, oh, that's not the scene. That's not the vibe. Yeah, see, no one wants to do karaoke with someone who can sing. Exactly, yeah. Nobody likes the, that person in the room. Yeah. No, hold on, you're not a fan of singing, are you? I heard this. You've said this before. <laughs> no, I'm judging your singing. Don't take that My the wrong way. My awful singing voice has a reputation of its own. No. No, but you, I'm fairly certain you said once you auditioned for a musical and in your own words, it was a car crash. Oh my God, it was awful. I will never forgive like the, the, everyone that made me audition for that. Um, it wasn't actually that bad. I did come away with a note from the director saying, no, no, no. He was like, no, 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 no. You can sing. You just can't like sing. Yeah. You can <laughs> like, sing. You just can't. Sing. You can't like. He was just like you can't. Just, you just can't belt. Like, you, you can sing. You can like, sing. You just can't sing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you didn't have to do it double time. So I guess. Yeah. Oh, I have. Uh, he made me do high kicks and stuff on the stage. Wow. That's inappropriate. Like improved. Oh, Imp- what was the song? Or was it something from the from the Danny the Boy? Jesus. How do you do Danny Boy upbeat with high kicks? I mean, nobody. I mean, <laughs> don't do you ask me. Without high kicks, really. I think. <laughs> I think I am out of time. Guys, thank you very much indeed. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, so that was Holiday Granger and Alia Shawkat, and we'll be discussing that film, reviewing it, in fact, on next week's show, uh, which is all very, very kind of exciting. Uh, But the film we will be discussing right now in the reviews section is The Current War. Yes. Why are people furious about uh, raisins Ooh, and sultanas? Furi- and no, the current with an E. Oh, okay. Um, they're furious about modern times. No, I'm kidding. This is set in olden days. <laughs> and it is, of course... This don't, get, don't get me started the modern times, Ellen. Oh, so this is um, the story of the rivalry between Thomas Edison, who is played here by Benedict Cumberbatch, mm-hmm. 
and Michael Shannon's George Westinghouse. And the question was about creating a national grid for the US. So some people have described this film as being about the creation of the light bulb. The light bulb's already there. We already have the light bulb that's safe, that's in the bag. Okay. Yes, bus for home. But the question is, who puts in the wires? And do they, and this is important, put in AC or DC currents? Wait, this is an AC-DC biopic? It's an AC-DC biopic. So when does Angus Young come in? Is it's Tony really Stark involved late. in this? <laughs> No, no, just Doctor Strange and just Spider-Man. Just Doctor Strange and Spider-Man <laughs> because Tom Holland plays Samuel Insull, who's the right-hand man to, okay. to uh, Thomas Edison. So the thing is, it is a really interesting rivalry potentially. But the problem is, how do you make that work on screen? Like, I fully believe that the book of this would be fascinating. But it's not maybe entirely fit for the screen. And so the director, who's Alfonso Gómez-Rejón, basically resorts to a huge number of camera tricks and canted angles and weird sort of cuts and zooms and things. And you're just like, can you, could you just, just take a breath. He's a guy who directed uh, Me, Earl and a Dying Girl, which I loved. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think the character work here and his work with the actors is exceptional, but I feel like he's continually trying to um, put pace into this story. He's tr- continually trying to give it excitement. And the fact is, it's almost all people in a room talking. And mm. there's only so much excitement you can put in. And they they use their CG judiciously. They've mm-hmm. built some beautiful sets. Mm-hmm. But it's just quite hard to make it visually appealing, I yeah. feel like. Um, and And you're really kind of, you know, dealing with the fact that the real history is not that cinematic. It is about two men who weren't quite inventors. Edison had, you know, obviously had invented, but he didn't quite invent this stuff. He's mostly just overseeing a workshop of people who are doing the hard work. Um, he at one point hires uh, Nikola Tesla, who's played by Nicholas Holt. Well, Beast is in it as well. Beast is in it as well. Um, but uh, unfortunately, that doesn't work out so well for him. You know, it, there's lots of interesting people coming in and out of the story. Um, you've got uh, JP Morgan, played by Matthew McFadden. Great, great people. And yet not that exciting to watch. How does um, Nicholas Holt's Tesla compared to David Bowie's Tesla in The Prestige? (laughs) He's in it for longer. Mm -hmm. Um, He's almost as well-dressed, maybe even more spiffy, because he gets a few more outfit changes. Um, But yeah, he has that same kind of air of sort of self-contained elegance about him. Uh, You've also got Catherine Waterson as uh, Marguerite Westinghouse, Mm. so that's Michael Shannon's um, wife and very much confidant, and they have a nice relationship. Tuppence Middleton has a bit less to do as Mary Edison, sadly. That's a shame. Uh, we should point out with this film, though, it was Weinstein. This is yeah. a movie that was coming out uh, a couple of years ago. 2017, I think, yeah. originally, yeah. And uh, let's put it this way. It was, I don't think this was Alfonso Gomez Rejon's initial vision. It was screened at the Toronto Film Festival, I think, or Venice, one of those two, mm. back in 2017, and wasn't that well received, and then got shelved. It was meant to be maybe a contender for Oscars in 2018, and uh, that clearly didn't happen, and then it got kind of stuck in yeah. limbo for a long, long time. Uh, and in fact, there's a really interesting story about this, that uh, Gomez Rejon managed to get the the rights to the film back. He managed to get his own film back from from Weinstein, from that morass, uh, from the fallout of all that stuff. And um, had one day managed to get financing to do one day of reshoots uh, and had eight different locations that he wanted wow. to reshoot and had only one location, a farmhouse. And so he and the cast and the crew worked really tirelessly to shoot eight additional new scenes in this one farmhouse with each room <laughs> representing a different place. so Fair play. Yeah, and absolutely. And it, it's, it just it feels like a bit of a shame because mm. 
I love Me and Earl and The Dying Girl and I was really hoping for big things from this and it just feels like a movie that's maybe never been given a chance to get off the ground. I think that's probably fair. But I mean, as I say, this cast is so good that you... You, you know, you could you would put up with a lot from them, frankly, yeah. and you don't need to. They're all on form, yeah. um, and and so I think that just about maybe keeps you interested. But mm-hmm. it's just it's a little bit, you know, disjointed, and it's it's got a it's got a mountain to climb in terms of keeping you interested in the question of electric wiring <laughs> and dynamos. <laughs> a lot of chat about dynamos. So anyway, we give this three stars. Three stars. Three stars, which we always say in the Empire Podcast is a recommendation. Uh, <laughs> So maybe closer to DC than AC, maybe. <laughs> yes, I don't know. A, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if that means anything, but yeah, three stars for the current war. Uh, just very, very quickly, there are a couple of films out this week, both of which we gave just two stars to, sadly. Horrible Histories, uh, essentially the Horrible Histories of the movie, Rotten Romans, uh, which is the big screen version of the beloved CBBC show. Doesn't have any of the original classic cast in it, so no Simon Farnaby or, or Larry Rickard or Ben Wilbond or Martha Howe Douglas. I might as well mention the other two <laughs> while we're here. Matt Bainton and uh, Jim Howick as well. They're not in this film. It's a new cast. But uh, we gave us two stars. And I, I wonder if maybe kids and people who have families might still want to go and see this and uh, it might be a bit of a, a blast. A little cheaper, cheerful sketch comedy kind of thing. You know, Monty Python for kids. Mm. Maybe check it out. Who knows? And then there's the latest documentary from Nick Broomfield, the great documentarian. It's called Marion and Leonard, Words of Love. And it's about the relationship between Marianne Illen and Leonard Cohen. And we gave that just two stars as well. So not great pickings at the old uh, box office this week. But that may change next week with the re-release of Do the Right Thing and Hobbs and Shaw or Fast and Furious percent Hobbs and Shaw or whatever the hell it's called. That'll be out next week as well. So uh, do check that out. That is it for this week's Empire Podcast. We got through it without killing each other. Hurrah! Hey. Fuck off, Ben. Oh, why? Fuck Honestly. you, Chris. What the fuck? Why did you say hey in that tone of voice? How dare you? I didn't you? say hey at all because I wouldn't say hey, hey to you. Hey, I hey. will why kill you. Why don't you stay you out of it? Guys, guys, let's go for some sales pizza and sort this whole thing out. Okay. <laughs> I'm fully on board. <laughs> fully on board. But only if I get to play Fight the Power on my massive boombox. Okay. Can I do that? All right. Good, good, good. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined, hopefully, we did say last week that Nick Frost would be here. That didn't happen, as you might have figured out by now. Because he would have melted, because was Nick Frost. <laughs> that is true. Nick That's Frost. Why. Nick yeah. Frost in this heat does not work well at all. Neither does um, the guy who played Hercules on the small screen. Um, Kevin Sorbet. Kevin Sorbet. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I jumped in and stole the punchline to that yeah, terrible you do, joke. You do that, don't you? You do that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a... Yeah. Punchline. Bellend. Bastard. Bellend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Anyway, until next week, until we meet again, until it is special occasion, all that stuff, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. How dare you? It is goodbye from Ben Travis. Bye. Oh, nice, Ben. Oh, you can come back anytime. Yeah. Uh, It's goodbye from James Dyer. Cock off. (laughs) (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. I am off to, well, frankly, guys, and thank you for not commenting on it, but um, I have been doing this this podcast entirely nude, and uh, I'm just going to put some clothes on. Oh, thank God. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.